0: It's sad for me to think that this is the last message in our series, the final call, the final message of the final call. But I praise God that this afternoon at 2.30, there has been a, a message added uh, on a topic that I'm very passionate about, and that is uh, the spirit of prophecy and the writings of Ellen White. You know, we are going to be addressing some of the accusations that have come in against Ellen White. Uh, the good news is any accusation that you may be here that you may hear, has already been answered in the past. Tonight, we're not only going to be discussing these things, but we have a handout for you that's going to be available uh, with many websites for resources to answering the, the critics and the uh, criticisms that are out there against the spirit of prophecy. I've been so blessed in my time here. have been able to see parts of your beautiful country. We saw the three sisters. Uh, I went and, you know was we went up, five of us, to Avondale and Sunnyside, and Sunnyside was especially amazing, of course. Um, now, there was actually a, a branch in Ellen White's bedroom that came, a picture of Jesus that was painted on a, a cutoff from a branch that's on the property of Elm Ellen White's last home, and it was, I felt really at home then because I grew up running around Elm when my grandparents were giving tours there, And years later, of course, when I was 16 and, you know, went back, it was that much more special of a place because I had begun to really understand what the Lord had done uh, through Ellen White and read some of her writings through which the Lord touched my heart. So sometimes people think that you just kind of inherit knowledge or experience, but I also had to grow in knowledge and experience. Anyways, it's been an incredible blessing being here with you this morning. And before we continue with our our last message, I would just like to ask you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Lord, you said that when every other voice is hushed and in quietness we wait before you, the silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. Lord, we long for you to calm in our soul just now. Whatever thoughts we have come in here with, whatever concerns, whatever things are flying around in our minds, we pray that you will simply silence them. As we come into your presence, we pray that we would hear your voice clearly speaking to our souls. We long for a message from heaven, Lord. May not a man be heard, but the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, and may the message be loud and clear. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the blessed assurance that we have of salvation when we put our lives completely in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thus far this week, we have been examining Jesus' message to the church of Laodicea. We began with the message entitled, The Laodicean Dilemma. On Sunday night, The Laodicean Dilemma, we discovered that the greatest problem of the church of Laodicea is not that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, or naked, but that they don't even know it. They don't even recognize it. But praise God that the Savior offers a solution, amen? And this was our next message where we examined the three solutions that Jesus gives in Revelation 3 verse 18. He says to buy from him gold refined in the fire. He provides the robe of his righteousness that the Laodiceans aren't naked and unclothed. And then, of course, the eye salve that he promises, which is the Holy Spirit's Attendance, um, granting us wisdom, we can understand the light of His word. The next night, we examined how, how in the passage itself, it does not give uh, an answer to being wretched or miserable, but there's only one other place in the Bible where those two words are used. Wretched is in Romans 7, and miserable in 1 Corinthians 15. And we saw how Jesus had victory over sin, which is what wretched is referring to there in Romans 7. And miserable is referring to death. And we see that Jesus had victory over death as well. Praise God that through Christ and his victory over sin and death, he can grant us victory over sin and over death when he comes in the clouds of glory. The next evening we, and this was last night, we asked the question, what will it take? We saw how the message, the last message of mercy to the world was given to us 160 years ago. We saw that nothing short of a complete surrender of everything we have and everything we are would enable God to finish the work to us through us. And the Lord made a call to us to surrender ourselves and be willing to allow him to make the final call to through to humanity through us that he can come soon. This morning our message is entitled Safe and Secure or Not So Sure. Safe and Secure or Not So Sure. I was driving down the highway, and I had the radio station on. It was a radio station that's fairly popular in America among Christians, and I like the music for the most part on that station. However, the man who ran the ministry for a long time, now he is actually too old, has some erroneous teachings about the Bible, many of them. And one of them was that Jesus would come back in 2011. This is after he had predicted it three times before, and been wrong every time. And for some reason, people still kept listening to him. So I would turn him off, but I would listen to the music. Anyways, this man actually espouses and teaches something. He says that once, he believes in predestination, which teaches that God, when he created the world, before he created the world, he had in his minds each of us. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, not everyone's going to make it to heaven, but rather just a select group. And those others that I've created, they're going to be lost. And he believes this man, this radio announcer or this radio uh, host, believes and teaches this thought of predestination, that God created some in order to be saved and determined that they would be saved and that the others would be lost because God determined that they would be lost. But friends, praise God that the gospel is not this, amen? We have a choice, isn't that right? Right? God provided the uh, opportunity for all of us to accept his uh, burden that he, excuse me, to accept uh, his sacrifice on the cross. He made provision for the salvation of all, and it's simply ours for the taking should we accept the gift that he's given. Well, as I was listening to this man speak, um, this radio announcer, someone who came on, just after this man finished speaking, they had a plug for a book. And the name of the book was I Hope God Saves Me. And they said, if you'd like your free copy of I Hope God Saves Me, call 1-800-364-2996. And I thought to myself, who would want a book called I Hope God Saves Me? Does that sound like a nice read to anybody in here? All right, praise the Lord. (laughs) Friends, we don't have to hope that God saves us. He has promised that He will, amen? It's not a matter of of what he will do it's a matter of our response to him and a continual walk with Jesus you know I asked a number of friends some time ago I had an informal survey and I asked a few of them you know if you died tonight what would happen to you you know I know that you would sleep in the grave and 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 die but what would your eternal fate be two of them said ah uh, I don't know I'm, I'm not sure One of them said, I'd be lost. And I said, why? When I asked them why, they said, well, you know, the other day I did this and I did this and, you know, I'm just too bad. I'm too bad of a person. The other person said, I'd be saved. I'd be saved. But after a little more discussion, she actually started to cry and tears came to her eyes. She wasn't sure. She wanted to be sure of her salvation, but she didn't know and believe that biblically she could be. When her, if her life was completely in Christ's hands. Well, friends, I want to extend this survey to you, but you have to promise me something. Will you promise me something? You don't know what it is yet. Will everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? Yes? Okay. Bow your head and close your eyes. For the sake of the privacy of others, there is a strange power in the crowd. So just please bow your head, close your eyes. Now, if your life were to end... When you left this church this afternoon, do you, if you believe that you would be saved in God's kingdom, raise your hand. Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, if you believe that you would not be saved in God's kingdom, every eye closed, please. Uh, please raise your hand. All right, you can put your hands down. All right. Praise the Lord. This, this um, body of believers has many people who are, confident not in themselves but in what Christ is able to do. Friends, there is an extreme. There are two extremes when it comes to the assurance of salvation. Biblical assurance is not just something that's, that's nice or something uh, that we should have. It's an absolute necessity for the Christian. How can we share a gospel or the good news of the gospel if we haven't experienced it? If we don't know and, and And believe that the the good work that Christ has done in us thus far, and his righteousness being worked out in our lives, uh, would carry us through to the kingdom. Friends, we must be sure of our salvation, amen? God wants this to be the case in our lives. Now, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. We've been talking about, in the message to the Church of Laodicea, how They thought that they were all right, but they're all wrong. That's the the sad case of the Laodicean church. It's the Laodicean dilemma, if you will. There's a danger of false security, false assurance. And we're going to address this just briefly before we focus the second half of the message, the larger part of the message, on uh, another aspect, the other extreme that we must avoid as God's uh, children and as his church. Now... In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus told his disciples, after they had gone out and cured diseases, after uh, people had been healed, after miracles had happened, Jesus said to them when they came back and were excited to share these things, Jesus said to them, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are what? Written in heaven. Friends, Would Jesus tell his disciples to do something that they could not do? Yes or no? No, he would not. So he said, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So it means that they would have to be able to know that their names were written in heaven in order to be able to rejoice. Isn't that right? We've been studying. This morning's uh, Sabbath school lesson goes in line with this perfectly. We were learning about the investigative judgment and how when we give our lives to Christ, our name is entered into the book of life. There's also the Book of Remembrance. But friends, we can rejoice that how, if we have surrendered our lives to Jesus, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When our sins come up before the Lord in the investigative judgment, when we ask for forgiveness of those sins, they are blotted out by the blood of the Lamb. We can rejoice in this indeed. The, the promise of assurance is, is uh, clear, and it's really a necessity. Listen to what a, a little old lady, five 5'2", 77 years old at the time, who had been inspired by the Lord said to the general conference meeting in uh, 110 years ago. She said, We must not base our salvation upon supposition. We must know of a surety that Christ is formed within the hope of glory. We must know for ourselves that the Spirit of God is abiding in our hearts and that we can hold communion with God. Then, if He should come to us quickly, if by any chance our life should be suddenly ended, we should be ready to meet our God. Friends, we need to have this assurance to be ready. Amen? No matter what happens that way, we would know that the blessed gift that Jesus is offering us is sure. It is guaranteed. The message this morning is a very simple one. A very simple one, but it's ever so important. I found that in my short time as a minister that so many people lack this peace and this assurance that God wants to offer us. We're going to answer the question, how can I be sure of my salvation? You know, concerning salvation, there are many ditches and traps that the devil would have us fall into. One of them and we won't take much time to address the first, is a teaching. It's a teaching that is floating in the unbiblical waters of false theology, and it is called Once Saved, Always Saved. Has anyone else ever heard that before? Once saved, always saved. It's pretty self-explanatory. This teaching says that if you, at one point in your past, in a little moment of faith, said, Lord Jesus, please save me. I give my life to you that you are saved no matter what you do for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter what you do. If Based on that little moment of faith, you are saved according to this false teaching. Now, friends, does the Bible give us any examples of people who chose to be saved but then later turned their back on God and were lost? Yes, it does, many of them. Uh, we, we see that Saul turned his back, King Saul turned his back on the Lord. We see that Judas turned his back on Jesus. He physically walked and talked with Jesus, yet he turned away. Jesus even put him in a place where he could overcome his greed, yet he chose to resist the pleadings of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that, indeed, we can choose to be lost. Paul, in Hebrews 3, verse 12, explains this, and he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. In doing what from the living God? Departing. That means that, and Paul is writing to the Christian believers here, he said, it is all too possible to depart from God. And what is the root cause that leads the people to depart from God, according to the verse? There be an evil heart of unbelief in you. Friends, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Amen? It is faith that we must have. And as we've been learning this week, Jesus offers us that gold, the faith that works by love. This is what Jesus wants to offer to us that we may stay uh, in the Lord's hands. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 27 shows that Paul really recognized his own weakness and said, you know, I am not immune to falling away. He says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. Paul says, you know, what a shame would it be If all of these converts and people who have given their lives to the Lord saw the very one who brought them to the foot of the cross fall away, he knew that he was, friends, no man is indispensable. None of us, no man or woman is indispensable. But friends, the Lord does not want any one of us to leave his side. Isn't that right? The choice always lies with us. But when we start seeing the things that the Lord may be doing through us, and we take credit for them, and we allow pride to come into our minds and into our hearts and into our lives, we are in danger of falling away from the Lord. But praise God that He holds us close to Him, and He promises that should we walk with Him day by day and moment by moment, that He will keep us ever mindful of our own personal weaknesses and faults and our uh, foibles. In Genesis 5, verse 24, we see a picture Of a man who truly walked with God. The Bible says of Enoch, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Friends, there's another extreme out there. The devil doesn't care which side of the road we fall into as long as we're in a ditch. Isn't that right? On the journey to heaven, his goal is to get us off track, off to the side, and out of the straight and narrow. And this, we've looked at one extreme, which is once saved, always saved. Now we're going to look at another extreme, which is that we'll never be ready for heaven. And this is often the accusation that the devil brings against us. You're too bad. You've gone too far. All of these things. And we start to doubt and wonder, am I really saved? Can I be sure? We see that Enoch walked with God, and God took him to heaven. Amen? In Patriarchs and Prophets, that beautiful book it says that Enoch's voice was so familiar to the people because of his preaching that they actually went and looked for him. When he didn't come back down from that mountain, from his time in communion with God, they missed his voice. They actually ridiculed him and they didn't listen to him, but strangely, a part of their lives was missing. They were missing the voice of God. When they went to look for him, they found no grave, they found no body, and they realized and knew that God had taken Enoch home with him. Enoch's life came to a point where God said, Enoch, your thoughts, your meditations, the songs that you sing, the thoughts that you think, everything, your mind is in heaven. Why don't you just physically come up here and join me? And friends, this is Christ's desire for us too, isn't it? As we walk by the way, as we interact with others, we can have our minds focused on Christ. We can have his word hidden in our hearts. We can put it to song or that we may remember it better. There's power in in the word of God to keep us close by his side. Friends, God is able to keep us from falling, amen? Jude, verse 24, a song that this church knows very well. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Friends, God is able to keep us from falling, amen? You know, we may feel like, I've fallen and I, I've gotten up and I've fallen. And I, I don't feel like it's possible anymore. But friends, with man, it is impossible. But With God, how many things are possible? All things are possible. Not us, but Christ living in us, amen? And in the same way that he walked with Enoch, in the same way that he was able to take Elijah to heaven, and both of them were sinless and holy, Is because they recognize their weakness, their imperfections, and they constantly cast themselves on the Redeemer and and he could live out his life through them and within them and purify them and fit them for heaven. Following quote from Christ's object lessons makes this very clear. It's beautiful. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. Friends, God is desiring to perfectly reproduce His character in us. And I know many people have have heard this and read this and become discouraged and thought, how can the character of Christ be perfectly reproduced in me? How can this happen? Friends, the Lord is well able to accomplish this. Amen? You know, our eyes need not be on ourselves, but we must focus our eyes on Christ. In the last days of earth's history, God can and He will have a people a people who will perfectly reflect His image, who will follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth, who will say there is no price too high to stand for the truth, though the heavens may fall, a people who will follow Him and who will see Him when He comes in the clouds of glory, and He will say to them, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Friends, as we see Christ, as we behold the high and holy standard of his righteousness. We wonder. We're tempted to believe the enemy when he says, you can't be a part of that group. Look at you. Look at this sin in your life. Look at that. And we're tempted to believe that God is not able to change us. And we're tempted to believe that in light of these imperfections, that we cannot reach the standard that Jesus wants to reach in us and through us by living in our hearts. Close your ears to the enemy and look to the promises of God. Here is one beautiful one, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God promises, he'll uphold us. It's not us that are going to have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That doesn't work. He says, I will uphold you. Isaiah 43, 6, verse 4. Isaiah 46, verse 4. And even to your old age, I am he. And even to hoary hairs, gray hairs in other words, will I carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. God promises that he will carry us, amen? Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The Lord appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Friends, let me ask you something. Does Jesus love us with an everlasting love? Yes or no? Can someone love with an everlasting love unless they have existed and are everlasting? Yes or no? They cannot. Therefore, because Jesus loves us with an everlasting love, Jesus is not just everlasting into the future. Jesus has always existed, amen? Christ was not created, Christ was not made by God the Father. Jesus Christ is eternal, amen? amen? He is one with God the Father in purpose, with the Holy Spirit. And they work together in the plan of redemption to save humanity. Amen. Friends, if you ever hear that Jesus has not existed all throughout all of eternity, take that person to the, to the Word of God, amen? It is clear, when we look at the Old Testament and we see that God is the everlasting one and we see in the New Testament the the prophecies and the quotations of those verses that refer to the very same passages that are referring to the Lord, we know that Jesus has always existed and he will always exist, Amen? amen? He has loved us with an everlasting love because he is the everlasting one. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God who has started the good work in you, he's going to carry it forward to completion. Sometimes when I start a project, sometimes when I start writing something, a song or an article, I don't always finish it. Anybody else have that uh, experience? All right, I'm not alone. Well, God does not do that. The Lord always finishes what He starts. And what he started in you, what he started in me, he promises, should we simply submit to him day by day, moment by moment, he will carry that through to completion. He will finish the good work that he has begun in each and every one of us. You know, there may be one person here who was thinking, you know, those promises sound nice, but they don't apply to me. You know, he doesn't know what a sinner I am. God God can't reach me. He can't perfect me. He can't carry me through to heaven because I did this and and I did that. I'm too bad. Friends, listen to this. Steps to Christ, beautiful book, one of the best that you will ever read. Page 52, it says, put away the suspicion that God's promises are not meant for you. They are for every repentant transgressor. Strength and grace have been provided through Christ to be brought by ministering angels to every believing soul. None are so sinful that they cannot find strength, purity, and righteousness in Jesus who died for them. He is waiting to strip them of their garments, uh, stained and polluted with sin, and to put upon them the white robes of righteousness. He bids them live and not die. Friends, Christ is just waiting for us to surrender our sins, or surrender everything to Him, that He may may cleanse and purify us and give us, attribute to us His perfect and holy righteousness, changing our characters. The promises of God's Word, the thousands of promises, there for every single one of us. Amen? Every single one of us. Listen to this beautiful promise as well. The Faith I Live By, page 102. It is not God's will that you should be distrustful and torture your soul with the fear that God will not accept you because you are sinful and unworthy. Friends, God doesn't want us torturing ourselves and, and, and wondering and, and second-guessing. No, He wants us to have a confidence, the blessed peace that comes from being connected with Him, the peace that passes understanding, the peace that passes all understanding. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter three. Zechariah chapter three, one of the minor prophets toward the end of the Old Testament, just two books behind Matthew. Right behind Malachi is Zechariah. Now Zechariah was given a vision of Joshua the high priest, the high priest of Israel, the the uh, representative of the people. Zechariah three. And we're going to examine this together. Now, we remember, for those who were able to join us uh, during the final call, we have seen together from scripture that robes and clothes in the Bible represent character. They represent character. Zechariah 3, starting in verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Satan was there accusing Joshua verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, "The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you." Is not is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. The devil was accusing Joshua saying, "Look, his character, it's filthy. He's not yours, he's mine." But it continues on verse 4. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Friends, Christ has cleansed us from our sins when we have confessed to him. Amen? The devil may stand at our side. He may try to accuse us, but we have a high priest in heaven who is interceding on our behalf. And when we have confessed our sins to him, we know that he has been faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Listen, Romans 8 verses 33 and 34. This beautiful truth is re-echoed here. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Amen? We have nothing to fear if we have put our lives in his hands. Nothing to fear if we have put our lives in his hands and are continuing to walk with him. It's a beautiful song you may know it the words go like this before the throne of God above I have a strong and perfect plea a great high priest whose name is love you know it join me whoever lives and pleads for me I know some of you know it uh, my name is written on his hands My name is graven on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me then depart. No tongue can bid me then depart. Friends, we have a high priest in heaven who is interceding for us. No tongue can bid us to thence depart. What happens is that we often look at ourselves and that's where we get tripped up. Isaiah saw God in vision. His eyes were open. He saw his glory. The train of his robe filling the temple. The seraphim were flying and they were crying, holy, holy, holy. The pillars of the temple there were shaken. And Isaiah said the following words in Isaiah 6 verse 5. He had just, in chapter 5, been listing the woes against Israel, and now he realized that it was him, that he was the one that was in need of help. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah said, I'm done for. I'm in the presence of the Holy One. But it continues on, friends. When we recognize our inadequacy, our needs, our, our problems before the Lord, our unholiness, God steps in and he can work a miracle. It says, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. Friends, the very thing that Isaiah said had the problem, his lips, was what God cleansed through the angel bringing the coal from the altar on high. And the reason why is because the angel that brought him that coal that cleansed his lips, the cleansing of his lips was for the purpose of Isaiah going out and declaring the gospel. Just after this in verse 8, it says, Then I heard the voice saying, whom shall we send and who shall go for us? Whom shall I send and who, who will go for us? And Isaiah, did he say, here am I, send him? No, he said, here am I, send me, pick me, Lord. I want to go for you. I've recognized my unworthiness, but I praise you for cleansing me from that unworthiness, for cleansing me of my sins. Now I can speak for you because you have changed me. You have transformed me. This is God's ideal, his desire For us, friends, he wants to transform us. As Christians on the upward walk, we can often fall into the trap of discouragement, but Christ wants us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. There's somewhat of a a divine, a divine paradox, if you will. The more we focus our eyes on Jesus and turn our eyes upon Jesus, the more we recognize our own impurities and imperfections. Now, the closer we draw to Him, the more we realize that we're in need of Him. Now, this is a good thing because we can realize more and more how anything good is not really from us. It's Him working out His goodness and living out His life in us. And it keeps us dependent upon Jesus. But Satan wants us to focus our eyes on ourselves and to distract us and make us think that We are not going to ever be able to be fit for heaven and for our home. But listen to this beautiful quote. By the way, this is from Steps to Christ as well. If you do not have a copy of this book, we have one available for you uh, just as you leave. And if if you can just think of a friend who needs to hear this message, who who would be blessed by this, then I encourage you to pick one of these up and to share it with them. Incredible book. It It has been transformative in my life. She says, do not be misled by Satan's devices. Many who are really conscientious and who desire to live for God, he too often leads to dwell upon their own faults and weaknesses, and thus by separating them from Christ, he hopes to gain the victory. We should not make self the center and indulge anxiety and fear as to whether we shall be saved. All this turns the soul away from the source of our strength commit the keeping of your soul to God and trust in him he is able to keep that which you have committed to him friends christ is able to keep our hearts that we have committed to him he says in his word that when he does away with our sins that they are gone micah 7 verse 19 he will turn again he will have compassion on us he will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Our sins are gone. They are gone. Did you know that there are places on earth, like the Mariana Trench, that are over 30,000 feet deep? There are places that submarines cannot even go. God is saying, I'm doing away with your sins. They are gone. They are finished. But friends, we sometimes, when the devil tempts us to look at ourselves, we, we bring up sins from our past i never forget the story I heard of, of, a, um, of a young girl who was learning how to drive. And as she was learning how to drive, she was, you know, driving with her father, and her father was teaching her how to drive, and a cat jumped out in the middle of the road. And the dad said, hit the brake, and she hit the gas, and it killed the cat. So they went to the neighbors, and they said, oh, we're so sorry, we're so sorry that that you, we killed your cat, I'm, I'm so sorry. And they said, oh, and they shed some tears and their children went and they all buried it in the backyard together and, and that was it. So the neighbors thought. And then the neighbors who had killed the cat came back again and, and rang the doorbell and, and this uh, their neighbors came out and they said yes and they had dug up the cat and said, oh, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. they said, okay, so they buried it again. No, it's okay, we forgive you. They buried the cat. Well, the next day, guess what happened? They dug up the cat again. Oh, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. Friends, it's a simple story, a simple illustration, but isn't it that way with us and God sometimes? Do we really trust Him that when we've confessed our sins, He has, and forsaken them, turned away from them, that He has forgiven us of them? He has, he has promised that He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't need to go fishing for our sins. We don't need to go digging up old dead cats and apologizing for them once they are done. It is natural to have a sense of guilt and, and separation from the Lord after we, have, uh, after we have, have sinned, but He has forgiven us. And in Steps to Christ, page 51, to put it in my own words, she says there, beautifully, just one and a half sentences, you'll be blessed to read it, check it out later. She says, believe in God's promise and say, I believe it because He said it and not because I feel it. Not because I feel it, but because he said it. Friends, we should not trust our feelings when it comes to those things, but we should trust implicitly on the word of God. We can trust that he has indeed forgiven us. Just as we are drawing to a close, who do you think this is uh, an artist's rendition of? Saul, very good. And Saul, at this point, when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, Later he became, who? Paul, the most powerful missionary in, uh, the most powerful missionary in really, the, the Christian uh, church's history. Now, we're going to see a beautiful illustration that the Apostle Paul gave that helps us understand salvation and sanctification, but before we go there, Paul was a man who was confident in his salvation. You know why? Not because he was confident in himself, but he was confident in Christ. He had a confidence in Christ. And because of that, he knew that his salvation in Jesus was sure. He said, yes, I'm a work in progress. And if I fall, I don't hang my head and and stay on the ground. I get back up and by the blood and power of Jesus, I press on toward the goal. Look at what he had to say in 2 Timothy 4, verses 5 and 8. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. This is Paul's last letter that he ever wrote. He was writing to his disciple Timothy, and he's, he knows that the, his death is soon. He was getting up in age, and he knew that his life would soon be given a martyr's death for, uh, for his faith in Christ. I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Friends, Paul had confidence in his salvation, not because he was confident in himself, but because he was confident in Jesus. Amen? Jesus is knocking at the door of our hearts. His words to us, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. Friends, Jesus wants to enter into our hearts each and every day when a temptation comes into our minds. We can hit it with scripture and say, Lord Jesus, dwell in my heart. Give me righteous thoughts. Jesus wants to transform us from the inside out. Steps to Christ, page 64. Once again, there are those who have known the pardoning love of Christ and who really desire to be children of God, yet they realize that their character is imperfect, their life is faulty. And they are ready to doubt whether their hearts have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. To such I would say, do not draw back in despair. We shall often have to bow and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes. But we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off, not forsaken, and rejected of God. No, Christ is at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us. And if you will but yield yourself to him, he that hath begun a good work in you will carry it forward until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, we need not draw back in despair. We need not think that we are forsaken, that God rejects us immediately should we, should we make any mistake. The story is told of a man named Paderevsky famous Polish pianist. He was performing at a concert, a classical music concert. And as the people were there, they were ready to hear this world-class pianist, this famous musician. Now, before the program started, the lights were turned down low, and one mother didn't notice that her son kind of slipped away from her as she was speaking to the person to her left. The next thing she knew, the lights came on. She saw her son on the stage, and he was there at the piano. And she thought, oh, no, what what is going on? Oh, no, he's... And he was starting to play. He started to play Chopsticks. Very, very basic, simple song. And people started saying, what is this? We came to see Paderewski. Who is this little boy, and why is he up there playing the piano. Who's, whose kid is that? That mother's got to get that boy down from there. But as the story goes, when Paderewski saw that little boy out there, rather than going up and picking him up and removing him because his song wasn't this glorious piece, even though it had mistakes, rather than that, he went to this little boy and he put his arms around him. And then he started to weave that little song of chopsticks into the most beautiful masterpiece that any of the people had ever heard. Friends, the arms of Jesus encircle us, amen? He is the master musician. There may be mistakes, there may be trip-ups in our lives, but if we have surrendered ourselves to him, if we confess and forsake those things, He will weave even the negative things in our past and in our lives into the most beautiful thing that we could ever imagine. In the same way, friends, Christ wants to grant us this blessed assurance because he is the one in control. It is a gift that he has promised us. I'd like to invite the deacons to share a card with you at this time, they're going to be to be handing you something to write with and a card as well. Every time that we hear a message from Jesus, we have one of two choices. We can respond in the positive or we can reject the pleadings of the Holy Spirit. We can rise in rebellion or surrender and humble our hearts but there's always a response. I invite you to listen to the words of this song, friends. Remember, the devil may be accusing us. Others may not be willing to give us the time of day. They may be accusing us as well, family members or friends or someone, may be pointing to the things in our lives. But remember, Jesus loves us infinitely so. And Christ has guaranteed that he will bring his work in us to completion. Please listen to the words of this song as you receive the cards. You gave me laughter after I cried all my tears. Amen. Praise God for the love of Jesus, amen. Amen. this morning the Lord wants us to respond to him he's giving us an opportunity to respond and we want to give you an opportunity to respond you know we either fall into one of two groups here if we have any fear in regards to our salvation first it might be because we have good reason to be afraid because we haven't fully surrendered our lives into the hands of Jesus Friend, if that's you today and you want to say, you know, I've made a a surrender, but I know there are things in my life that I am still holding back, and I want the Lord to help me give those up, that I can have the sweet, blessed peace that passes understanding. That's your desire. I invite you to check that first box. I want to make a full surrender to Christ and in exchange, receive genuine peace and assurance. Secondly, if you are afraid in any respect in regard to your salvation, it may be because the devil is throwing accusations your way and you're tempted to believe them. But you've already surrendered your life to the Lord. You have no sins in between you and Him. And if that is the case, friend, you can trust that your sins are done away with and that you are right with your Maker and your Creator. And if that's going on in your mind and you realize that you need special help from the Lord to trust in His promises, to resist the temptations of the enemy, to think that you are not saved, so that you can receive true assurance of salvation. I invite you to check that second box. Last of all, the gift of eternal life is one that God has offered freely to all of humanity, but it is conditional. You see, God is a God of love. He's a God of freedom of choice. He does not force His gifts upon anyone. The Bible teaches us, in the words of Jesus Himself, by His example, the only way that we can be saved in His kingdom is through His righteousness. And for all who are physically able, Jesus says the way to express your faith in my righteousness, your union with me into death and resurrection, is through the rite of biblical baptism. And friend, whether you're a visitor here today, whether you've been many times, or even if you're a member, maybe you grew up in this church, you're a young person, you're thinking, you know, I just haven't made the decision for baptism yet. I'm still too young. I'll put it off. Or, or another time, friends, today is the day of salvation. No man is promised tomorrow. None of us know what the day will hold. If you would like to say, yes, Lord, I want to give my life to you and tell the onlooking universe whose side I am on then I invite you to check that third box that says, I want to learn more about uniting my life to Jesus through baptism. Go ahead and check that box. I invite you to pass the cards when you are done to the edge of the aisle. The deacons will pick them up after we pray. In fact, if you'll just hold them, we'll pass them after the prayer. Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that we don't have to be tortured in soul and wondering if we are saved or not. Because if we have made a full surrender to you and are holding nothing back, we can know that you have assured us the blessed peace of eternal life with you. Thank you that you say for those who follow you, your your sheep, that no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. Help us to continue following after you, O Lord. When the devil throws accusations our way and things even long in our past, we pray that we will keep our eyes focused on Jesus and say, I may not be worthy, but Christ is worthy. He has paid the price. Father, we thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. You know who of us, Lord, are especially struggling, and I pray that you would be with each one here in a special way who is. Lord, you know that some of us here in this room have not made a decision for baptism and to surrender our lives to you. Lord, I ask that you would continue to plead with us through your Holy Spirit. Continue to give us opportunities. but Lord, help us to make a decision because time is short. And we never know what moment might be our last. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for bringing us here this morning. As we go from this place and we have a fellowship lunch and enjoy the continued blessings of the Sabbath, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here through the angels. We thank you for having been thus far. Prepare us for heaven and home. We love you, Lord. Come soon, Lord Jesus.